exactly what I had in mind. Oh, when my niece was about, what, five years old? It, I have to ask Melanie because in my mind, my niece is like lost at this one age. I don't know if other guys are like that. Even gals are like that. But So, you know, I'm out there. She's little. I'm just pulling her and holding onto her hand. She's pretty. It was great. You know, best uncle ever. Except for it was a warm day, and that day, people didn't show. And she said, I would not have him turn her around, and it was great, and you know what she just said? Right out of my hand. And I remember watching her face as she literally, you know, cartwheeled away, and it wasn't fear, it was confusion. It was, you know, as she whirled away into, thankfully, some, some soft brushes at the edge of my parents' property. That day I learned a lot about Seth, and so did she. She has never let me spin her around again. So, trust is a tricky thing, isn't it? It really is. You get it right, and a, uh, a relationship is built up. You, you get it wrong. Quickly broken down. And never to be the same. Not so thankfully for me. But ultimately what makes trust such a, a tricky thing is that all of us are imperfect, right? All of us are are, are sinful. As Paul writes in the letter to the Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I, I suspect each of you has been on both ends of trust not versus not at some point. Maybe you trusted someone that you thought would uh, would help you out, would, would, would care for you, only to find out that they didn't really care for you. The trust is broken. Maybe like me, you've probably experienced some of the lowest moments of your life when your own weaknesses, your own sins have caused others to lose trust in you. Maybe you've been the one. Times are so hard because you know exactly how you failed others. Others have been just too insane to to help. But what about our trust with the Lord? Too often, I think, at least I know I, import our trust in this world, trust with, with other humans, we, we import those into trust in our relationship with God. We think that since we've been let down by others, we've been disappointed by other people, that the Lord will surely let us down. Or maybe we look at our own sinful hearts. We think of how imperfect we ourselves are. And we start to think that God couldn't really be as good and gracious and merciful as we're told. I mean, surely that's just too, that's too good to be true. And so rather than a sincere trust in our Lord and Savior, rather than a joy-filled comfort in His goodness, we instead resort to not walking with don't really trust what he's done. We struggle to believe. And one of the saddest 
outcomes of all of that, all of that doubting, shouting, and worrying, is the most important ingredient of being biblical. The Lord offers us a much simpler way because where we fail at pages of music, where even our best efforts won't add up, God really is doing it. Probably at this point, um, or, or maybe you didn't catch the first time I that I said this a number of weeks ago that I'm doing a little bit of an experiment uh, this summer and fall, and it's, I'm trying to get us to go deep into Hebrews in every way possible. And so some of that was just by God's plan. Uh, some of you were in a small group over the summer that did Hebrews. Uh, others of you were in our Simeon Trust class where we studied certain passages of Hebrews and how to teach and communicate them to others. Uh, still more of you have been involved in reading uh, Scripture on Sunday mornings. And, and for this series, I've always chosen the Scripture reading to be the sermon reading. I want us to, to be hearing it again and again and again as we read the deeper the Hebrews. And I think this passage, these verses, show one of the reasons the end with that, that name, you know, Melchizedek. We want to somehow find a way to shorten that up. Perhaps we could take a cue from some in our congregation instead of the DD, choose the MD. I'm not sure. Maybe the MK. <laughs> Still haven't gotten that one, by the way. Either way, we need to hear these truths and be prepared for them. Well, this would be the famous incident where Abraham 
was about to obediently sacrifice his son Isaac for the glory of God. And Isaac wrestled right then, that, that, that dramatic point in the story of not just God's people, there really weren't many people, but in God's promise to this man and his family and his lineage, it was right there that God once more told Abe of the promise events then form the of what the author of Hebrews wants to make sure that we see. Brothers and sisters, when God makes a promise, He We are in a footnote, right? It's not just if there's a TV commercial right now, it'd be like da 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 No, well, you know, if you teach it, but only if you do your part and this and that. When God makes a promise. We hear that there is no one greater for God to appeal to. I mean, he is, after all, the one true God. He can't swear by anyone else. So what does he do? Well, he secures it with his own. family member comes to you, maybe they ask for some money, right, to, to borrow a, a, a book or a toy, your lawnmower, or whatever it is. And, and when you're deciding whether to lend to them or not, your, your history comes into play, doesn't it? But you're instantly thinking through, maybe even unconsciously at this point, is this person trustworthy? Are they going to return it? Get whatever back. And it's also why making a promise to someone you don't know rarely shows any sort of faith. I mean, they don't know your character. They don't know if you're going to, to, to pay it back. They don't know if you are a promise keeper or a promise breaker. That kind of thing. And they have little incentive to trust you in that regard. Before that, we are blessed to live in the times that we do. And I think, you know, sometimes we get this notion of, oh, but it would have been so much better to have, what if we could walk there with Jesus? And I get that. Great job, by the way. Do you know that if you are a Christian, you will be Jesus? You will be with Him in the new covenant? Seriously, that will happen for you. You're not even going to miss out on that. Ultimately, that we read in the scriptures, the saints uh, even long to know these truths, and it's because we get to read this record, this unfolding picture of how God has been faithful. That's what we get to see. We have the record of God's promises made and kept over and over and over again from one generation to another. Another one country to another. Think of the people of Israel 
in the next slide, and still being recognized. One shooting to another, one era to another. Again and again and again, God's promises are made and kept and never are they promised from the Lord fail. Never has he gone back and let anyone down. Thank you. 
simply just telling us to repeat the Christ or to believe the Creed gives us a painful sensation of what we need to do with the Christ that we have in our hearts. Often, words only give us another sense. And we see that even in physical speech. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desires to show more convincing to the heirs of the promise to change the character of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope Taking of oath was normal in Bible times, just as it sometimes still used even today. Um, think of a courtroom. Uh, old truth and nothing but the truth. That's all we need to say. Uh, sometimes used still by political candidates. They take an oath to get into that office. Uh, members of the military take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. Well, in the biblical world, an oath was usually taken in a way that, unfortunately, would refer to usually some sort of divine deed with power, some sort of literal deed done. Uh, this is why the Bible often warns against taking oaths. God's people are to beware of careless oaths, promises given to any sort of false god or power. when he wants to make absolutely sure that we know how much we can trust him. He's, he's made the promise. But what if he wants to go above and beyond? What if God is the best way possible and overachieving? I mean, there's no one greater than God, no one else to swear by, so what does he do? He swears by himself. His own character and being. In this, we have two things. The promise of God's character never lies, and so when he swears by himself, we have absolutely no reason to doubt that he is trustworthy. Why does that matter? And it does matter. Even, even simply that truth matters, but what's the author of Hebrews wanting us to respond to by showing us God yet again? Well, the first part comes in verse 13. It's so that everyone who trusts in Jesus, uh, everyone who, who 
who's called upon him as Lord. Every person who desperately looks to this Savior, everyone who hopes that he hears the Lord's prayer, it's so that people like you and I can be assured. Not, not Hallmark and Ford, although they would have to die for that. Be but encouraged in the faith, encouraged ultimately towards eternity, encouraged to follow after him, to walk after Christian, your faith is not in your It's not in you. It's not um, this kind of bakery that you're so worked up. That's what we're after here. It's not what we believe as Christians. No, your faith is real. In Christ, our hopes will never be real because that sort of encouragement is exactly what you and I need to be faithful. We need something beyond just, well, we, we hope it'll work out. Well, you know, we weigh the odds. We have the, you know, the Lord in favor of this or the other. We follow by Not because of the strength of your faith, your knowledge, your understanding, but because of the strength of Do you realize that if you trust Christ, or if you're if you're a Christian, do you know that what saves you is not you? What saves you is not the the, the, the strength of your trust in Jesus. What what will spare you from the condemnation you deserve is not you know, got the right knowledge or you don't have to do the thing. Or, that's not it. What saves you is actually a who. Because it's not based on your character or mine. It's based on what we need and the trust that we find in who our Redeemer is. To renew our, our, our pressure for your faith, when you or I or are out as persecuted, the end result is going to come from what you believe about God. If you doubt Him, if you don't trust Him, then would it be any worse than that? Either in scripture or in church history, 
those who are being persecuted for their faith in the same way that they're being persecuted. So often you and I read that and we have this 21st century American insight. How could this world be like this? That's a good question. It is. But the solution isn't that they had something that you don't. The solution is that they had exactly the way that you have. Eternity will come, an eternity of no more pain, no more tears, no death. That's worth anything that life could possibly do to you here on earth. It's worth more than that. And that, you see, is how God's promises bring encouragement to us. That's why we need to know and believe and hold firmly to all that God has said. Trusting God's word is the cure to doubt and faithfulness and faithlessness. This morning, we see it in verses 19 and 20. You might call it the uh, the product of this passage as well. What do God's promises to us produce in those who trust Him? Do you You have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a a hope that enters into the inner place in the person. Jesus, the drawing, the forerunner of everything, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This gives hope. Hope is Hope is what we Christians need if we're to make it through this life with And we have been given every reason to trust Him. You see how hope is the One of the, uh, I don't have many joys in my own temperament. I just don't. But I have, I have one, and that's my friendship. And it's not because it's perfect. It's not. Please don't come look at it very closely. But two years ago, after they tabled this uh, project, we, we ripped it out. It was all rotting and musty. And I don't talk about not having a foundation. Moved around and it was just kind of messy. And so, you know, with frankly a lot of my wife's help, we, we rebuilt it. And we rebuilt it with so many stringers underneath, I almost didn't even put decking on it. I went to town with those stringers underneath the top of it. And, and you know, finally we, we, we put the decking on and we were like, let's do this. Um, you know, we, 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 the last piece of it 
and make that moment present there as that walk of faith. How can I make that moment present there? Walk of faith. So it's a faith that, and the thing doesn't even bite. Yes, Jesus. Right? Why? Why did he inspire faith? It's because he had strengthened that foundation. He had sent those folks all the way down who had gotten all the brass and all the super-expensive tools and everything else who were faithful to what was in those tools. It wasn't because I knew how to run a saw. But still, for my part, it's probably easy. But it took perseverance and effort and means. So it is with And what's even better, though, is that our hope isn't personal. It's not simply in the idea of, of hope, but instead it's in Jesus. He's the one who has done what we can't. He's the one who has gone where we can't. Jesus has gone into the holy of holies, that's the imagery here. He has paid our penalty with the offering of his body, and he has invited us with it to be with him forever. That is what our Savior has done. He is the best advocate. He is the forever advocate. His humility Bring you hope and comfort when you go to work and it's great and you get that raise and you feel 
hope that God will bless you and give you hope as you as you are sitting in this hospital waiting for doctors to give you a report. This is the hope and comfort you need at the grave side and at the wedding of the Lord. This is the hope and comfort that will sustain you for this and for the next give the greatest promises, the greatest oath, not to the people in charge, not to someone who is great and perfect and powerful, and you give it to God. You give it to the very people who have wronged you, the very people who we can't even save ourselves. You have to give it to them. Perhaps there are others here today who are being who are struggling to have this kind of hope. They see such Jesus. They love Jesus. They've given their life to Christ. And yet hope seems hard to find. It seems a rare commodity these days. And if so, Lord, I pray that this day they would reach ahead, that you would pour them this kind of great hope that they can only attribute it to your spirit at work in them. That they would just be so jaw-droppingly in awe of you and of your work in their existence that their hope couldn't help but be And Lord, perhaps there is someone here today who has exactly where they are. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them and continue to show them your mercy and blessing. And, and Lord, in such an overflowing way that they would be responsible for what they have done to encourage Father, build us up. Give us hope. Make us rooted and firm to know how 